This is the Intervention Podcast. I am James Wilde, and my guest today is Eckhart Tolle. I'm sorry to disappoint you. I don't have Eckhart Tolle here in person today, nor do I even have him on Skype. This is, in fact, the first of what will be a regular feature on this podcast, and that is a book review episode. So for the first book review episode, I am starting with The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. I chose this book as the first one because it's probably the book that's had the single biggest impact on my life since I read it, what, four or five years ago now. And it's something that has got me into meditation. It has helped me to build and keep an intimate, loving relationship, which is, as most of you will be aware, one of the most difficult things you can do. And it's something that probably gives me value every single day of my life since I have read it. So what's it about? As the title suggests, the power of now is all about the present moment. And it brings to light something that should be the most obvious thing in the world, or at least I've come to believe that. It should be the most obvious thing in the world to everyone. But for whatever reason, because of culture, because of Western society, whatever you think the reason is, we don't honour the present moment as the most important thing there is. Most of us put a lot more emphasis on the past, on the future. And the present moment, as Eckhart Tolle says in the book, for most people, is an obstacle for them getting to where they want to be. Always looking for the next thing, the next thing. Getting home from work. Having something to eat in the future of that day. Getting to the end of the week, for the weekend to come, or a few months time when we get that holiday and we're always just trying to get to that next thing. And there's a fantastic talk by Alan Watts which talks about this idea of always wanting on a more lifelong scale. And that's, we start school and we just think, right, if I can just finish school, get through this, then I'll be happy. And then we finish school and then we have to think, right, if I can just get through university or college, then everything will be okay. Then my life will be set. And we get through university or college and we need to get that job. So it's when I just get that next job, my first job even, whatever it is, then I'll be okay. And we get the job. And we think, right, now I need that promotion. When I get that promotion, I'll be all set. And on and on and on it goes, as you can imagine. Getting the house, getting the next promotion, paying off the house. Retirement, getting to retirement. When I get there, everything will be okay. And we spend our whole lives in a state that never really acknowledges the beauty in each moment, but is just so concerned with what's to come. And as Alan Watts says, not to take too much away from Eckhart Tolle, which is what we're going to focus on today, but if we imagine our life as a piece of music, the focus of the music isn't on pressing play and just getting to the end of the song as quickly as possible. The joy of the song is in appreciating each note, each line, each sub, each lyric, And that's where the enjoyment is. 
experiencing the whole song in its entirety, enjoying each moment. And that's what the power of now helps me to understand. So, I'll share some quotes from that book. The first one. Realise deeply that the present moment is all you have. Make the now the primary focus of your life. And for some people, that seems like such an alien thing to do. You start asking, how can I ever make the now the primary focus of my life when I need to worry about what's happening later on, I need to plan for ahead, otherwise I'll get nothing done. And I think that's a common misconception among people who hear this idea of living in the present moment and disagreeing with it. Living in the present moment doesn't mean that we don't plan, that we don't take care of practicalities. It just means that we do those things in the present moment with a much greater sense of awareness and consciousness. And it actually in my opinion, improves the quality of those things. So, planning becomes something which we do much more effectively because we're not worrying and anxious about the thing that we're planning for. Now, how does that work? Well, if we're not present and aware and in a good state of mind when we're planning, then it's easy to say that we could be in a state of stress or anxiety. And what happens to our brain under stress and anxiety? Well, one of the things that happens is the amygdala, the part of our brain which is responsible for things like memory, shuts down. So planning in a stress state will mean that you're more likely to forget important details, for example. So that's just one example of how living in the now is not just a feel-good, woo-woo, nonsensical thing to do. It's actually something with a massive amount of practicality. And then we come to the past. If we're not worrying about the future and planning for the future with that stress, then oftentimes we're worried about things that have happened in the past, feeling guilty, or we come up with a story about ourselves that tells us who we are and why we can or can't do certain things in our life. And Eckhart Tolle really points out that all those things happened in the now. And they exist only as thought forms in the now, and often our memories are anything but accurate as to what they really were. They're clouded by all different amounts of conditioning and just so much that we've missed in favour of a story that fits our perception of ourselves. Which moves me on to the next quote. It goes, Time isn't precious at all because it is an illusion. What you perceive as precious is not time, but the one point that is out of time, the now. That is precious indeed. The more you are focused on time, 
past and future, the more you miss the now. The most precious thing there is. The next really big way, like I mentioned earlier, that this book helps me was in the area of intimate relationships. Now when I first got this book, I had just met my now girlfriend of the last four years. But at the time she wasn't my girlfriend, she was somebody I was seeing now and again, doing the dating game if you like. And she was the first person I'd really felt serious about. Now this was a really great thing, but it was also bringing about all sorts of new feelings for me as a young, early 20 something. And I'd moved from a place of loneliness, which had become part of my comfort zone, to a place of finding someone that I was worried about losing. And that brought with it all kinds of jealousy, paranoia, about what she was doing, where she was, and it brought a lot of cloudiness into my mind. And this is around the time that I bought The Power of Now for the first time. And so having read all this about intimate relationships before I'd ever really been in a serious intimate relationship was a massive thing in my life. And I think I account that to getting through that through those early parts of the relationship and even holding the relationship to this very day. So I'll share a quote from the book about love and then move on to how I put that into action and how I still do put that, which I learned into action. Love is not selective, just as the light of the sun is not selective. It does not make one person special. It is not exclusive. Exclusivity is not the love of God, but the love of ego. However, the intensity with which true love is felt can vary. There may be one person who reflects your love back to you more clearly and more intensely than others. And if that person feels the same towards you, it can be said that you are in a love relationship with him or her. The bond that connects you with that person is the same bond that connects you with the person sitting, sitting next to you on a bus, or with a bird, a tree, a flower. Only the degree of intensity with which it is felt differs. Now that's just one quote from many gems that are in that book and I was really compelled when reading this to notice that so many people get their sense of self-worth from other people and the most powerful way that can happen is in intimate relationships so people draw so much of how they feel from the quality of the relationship of the person that they're with husbands wives boyfriends girlfriends and so on. And I was seeing how that was possible when I was reading this book. But what Eckhart Tolle points out is that that kind of approach to a relationship means that you are operating under something which isn't unconditional love, it's the opposite, it's love with condition which is not real love at all because it means that your love for that person is dependent on their actions and what they do and that might make sense to a lot of people of course you should care about how you're treated by your partner for example but what if all your sense of self-worth came from within what if you loved yourself so deeply that the actions of other people didn't affect you 
And that's so much more easier said than done. But what I really tried to do at the time was think to myself in a fake it till you make it type approach. What if I love myself unconditionally? What if my sense of self-worth came from within me and nowhere else? How would I act? What would I do? What would I say? How would I try to feel? And whenever feelings of neediness or jealousy came up within me, I would ask myself that question and then go forward and act in a way that I thought I would act if I had all those things. Now, this was a massive challenge at the time. But the more I did that, the more I thought in those terms, the more it kind of came true. It's a bit like making affirmations where we kind of repeat something day to day and then that thing is more likely to manifest in the physical world. So by repeating that affirmation, whenever these challenges came up, I think I was able to not only love myself at a deeper level, but love her at a deeper level as well. Because suddenly I saw her for who she really was and I stopped expecting her to do things just for me, which is a very selfish way of loving someone. So very difficult to do but I would advise anyone to, even if they don't feel like they love themselves unconditionally or they don't love their partner unconditionally, to start acting in a, in a way as though they did and see what happens. Next quote by Eckhart. All negativity is caused by an accumulation of psychological time and denial of the present. Unease, anxiety, tension, stress, worry, all forms of fear are caused by too much future and not enough presence. Guilt, regret, resentment, grievances, sadness, bitterness and all forms of non-forgiveness are caused by too much past and not enough presence. It is not uncommon for people to spend their whole life waiting to start living. The past gives you an identity and the future holds the promise of salvation and fulfilment in whatever form, but both are illusions. Now, I'm sure if we were to read on, we would be advised by Eckhart that true salvation is in the present moment. The only truth is that truth which you feel right now. And I was listening to a fantastic quote by Terence McKenna the other day. And he was a, a pioneer in the world of mysticism and most prominently of visionary psychedelic experiences. Now, he said that amongst his massive usage of such things, which you may have your own opinion on, it came to many different conclusions about life and some were proved right over the years and some were proved wrong. But the one thing that was held true and really stood the test of time throughout all of his experiences was that everything changes. Everything changes. Now, what does this mean in terms of the power of now? Well, it means that the now is in a constant state of flow and change. And everything you've got in your life that makes you happy will at some point come to an end. And everything that makes you sad and miserable 
will also come to an end. And Eckhart Tolle uses the phrase, this too shall pass. And that may seem a little sad at first, that everything changes and it can seem scary. But there's also salvation there because the things that we're happy about, the people we love, when we realise that those things won't last forever, it gives us a responsibility for gratitude and appreciation for while we have got those things. And it also means that those things that make us unhappy, we can be relieved that those things will pass. I think we're quite good at noticing when we've got a good thing in our life. And a good example is like when you're on holiday. We acknowledge quite easily, or at least I do, that that moment will change, that that good experience of being in that place will come to an end the holiday will come to an end by next Monday and you almost count down the days in your head worrying about it ending sometimes but with negative emotions and negative experience we almost can't see a way out we think that it might last forever it feels so much heavier and weighs us down but we notice that everything changes and we find liberation Terence McKenna continues with that quote to say that this power of now, it's a domain of feeling. Feeling is primary. Past and future vectors are not primary. And this isn't some be here now, feel good nonsense because it doesn't always feel good, but it always feels and it always changes. If you haven't read The Power of Now, I strongly recommend that you pick up a copy. It's a very cheap book now. I saw it for like £3 the other day in a shop. Uh, I'm sure you can probably get it even cheaper online off eBay. And I believe that we can get so much value from the, the words of this book. So to end this first book review episode, I'm going to leave you with a quote, a recording by Eckhart Tolle. It's called Acceptance and Surrender. See you next time. Chapter 6 Acceptance and Surrender Whenever you're able, have a look inside yourself to see whether you're unconsciously creating conflict between the inner and the outer, between your external circumstances at that moment, where you are, who you're with, or what you're doing, and your thoughts and feelings. Can you feel how painful it is to internally stand in opposition to what is? When you recognize this, you also realize that you are now free to give up this futile conflict, this inner state of war. How often each day 
If you were to verbalize your inner reality at that moment, would you have to say, I don't want to be where I am? What does it feel like when you don't want to be where you are? The traffic jam, your place of work, the airport lounge, the people you're with. It is true, of course, that some places are good places to walk out of. And sometimes that may well be the most appropriate thing for you to do. In many other cases, however, walking out is not an option. In all those cases, the I don't want to be here is not only useless but also dysfunctional. It makes you and others unhappy. It has been said, wherever you go, there you are. In other words, you are here, always. Is it so hard to accept that? Do you really need to mentally label every sense perception and experience? Do you really need to have a reactive like-dislike relationship with life, where you are in almost continuous conflict with situations and people? Or is that just a deep-seated mental habit that can be broken? Not by doing anything, but by allowing this moment to be as it is. The habitual and reactive no strengthens the ego. Yes weakens it. Your form identity, the ego, cannot survive surrender. I have so much to do. Yes, but what is the quality of your doing? Driving to work, speaking to clients, working on the computer, running errands, dealing with the countless things that make up your daily life. How total are you in what you do? Is your doing surrendered or non-surrendered? This is what determines your success in life not how much effort you make. Effort implies stress and strain, needing to reach a certain point in the future or accomplish a certain result. Can you detect even the slightest element within yourself of not wanting to be doing what you are doing? That is a denial of life and so a truly successful outcome is not possible. If you can detect this within yourself, can you also drop it and be total in what you do? Doing one thing at a time. This is how one Zen master defined the essence of Zen. 
Doing one thing at a time means to be total in what you do, to give it your complete attention. This is surrendered action, empowered action. Your acceptance of what is takes you to a deeper level where your inner state as well as your sense of self no longer depend on the mind's judgment of good or bad. When you say yes to the isness of life, when you accept this moment as it is, you can feel a sense of spaciousness within you that is deeply peaceful. On the surface, you may still be happy when it's sunny and not so happy when it's rainy. You may be happy at winning a million dollars and unhappy at losing all your possessions. Neither happiness nor unhappiness, however, go all that deep anymore. They are ripples on the surface of your being. The background peace within you remains undisturbed regardless of the nature of the outside condition. The yes to what is reveals a dimension of depth within you that is dependent neither on external conditions nor on the internal conditions of constantly fluctuating thoughts and emotions. Surrender becomes so much easier when you realize the fleeting nature of all experiences and that the world cannot give you anything of lasting value. You then continue to meet people, to be involved in experiences and activities, but without the wants and fears of the egoic self. That is to say, you no longer demand that a situation, person, place or event should satisfy you or make you happy. Its passing and imperfect nature is allowed to be. And the miracle is that when you are no longer placing an impossible demand on it, every situation, person, place or event becomes not only satisfying but also more harmonious, more peaceful. When you completely accept this moment, when you no longer argue with what is, the compulsion to think lessens and is replaced by an alert stillness. You are fully conscious, yet the mind is not labeling this moment in any way. This state of inner non-resistance opens you to the unconditioned consciousness that is infinitely greater than the human mind. This vast intelligence can then express itself through you and insist you, both from within and from without. That is why, by letting go of inner resistance, you often find circumstances change for the better.
Am I saying, enjoy this moment, be happy? No. Allow the suchness of this moment. That's enough. Surrender is surrender to this moment, not to a story through which you interpret this moment and then try to resign yourself to. For instance, you may have a disability and can't walk anymore. The condition is as it is. Is your mind now creating a story that says, this is what my life has come to, I've ended up in a wheelchair. Life has treated me harshly and unfairly. I don't deserve this. Can you accept the isness of this moment and not confuse it with the story the mind has created around it? Surrender comes when you no longer ask Why is this happening to me? Even within the seemingly most unacceptable and painful situation is concealed a deeper good and within every disaster is contained the seed of grace. Throughout history, there have been women and men who, in the face of great loss, illness, imprisonment or impending death, accepted the seemingly unacceptable and thus found the peace that passeth all understanding. Acceptance of the unacceptable is the greatest source of grace in this world. There are situations where all answers and explanations fail. Life does not make sense anymore or someone in distress comes to you for help and you don't know what to do or say. When you fully accept that you don't know, you give up struggling to find answers with a limited thinking mind. And that is when a greater intelligence can operate through you. And even thought can then benefit from that, since the greater intelligence can flow into it and inspire it. Sometimes surrender means giving up trying to understand and becoming comfortable with not knowing.
Do you know of someone whose main function in life seems to be to make themselves and others miserable? To spread unhappiness? Forgive them, for they too are part of the awakening of humanity. The role they play represents an intensification of the nightmare of egoic consciousness, the state of non-surrender. There is nothing personal in all this. It is not who they are. Surrender, one could say, is the inner transition from resistance to acceptance, from no to yes. When you surrender, your sense of self shifts from being identified with a reaction or mental judgment to being the space around the reaction or judgment. It is a shift from identification with form, the thought or the emotion, to being and recognizing yourself as that which has no form, spacious awareness. Whatever you accept completely will take you to peace, including the acceptance that you cannot accept, that you are in resistance. Leave life alone. Let it be.